Our scripture reading today comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 21 through 30. Starting in verse 21, it says, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello! It's good to be with you this morning. Um, We are continuing our series this week that we're doing all throughout Lent called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And um, we're basing it on uh, Pete Scazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Uh, We put links on social media and in the notes and things. If you want to buy the books, it's not too late to follow along with us. Uh, This is the one I'm preaching out of quite a bit. And then uh, this is a daily devotional. I think I've said this before. I'm not a super big daily devotional kind of person, um, but I love, love, love this one. Uh, it's awesome. So uh, you can find them on Amazon, follow our links in the notes or uh, on social media. So this is part two this week. It might feel a little bit like a class, uh, but that's not a bad thing. So, um, But as we get started, uh, when one of my boys was in kindergarten, uh, the tech teacher at the school thought or taught all of the kindergartners how to do a uh, voice search on Google. So uh, I don't know if you know this, but kindergartners are really terrible spellers. Uh, they can't spell at all. And so it's really hard for a kindergartner to do a search on Google when they can't spell. And some of what they were doing in tech class required them to do some research on Google. And so um, so he got these microphones. And it was this cool way to get let kids do some research and do Google searches. It was a great idea. Um, It was also a terrible idea because uh, now the kindergartners were no longer limited by their uh, horrible spelling or their lack of typing experience. They could now say any word into a microphone for Google to search any word. Um, So very quickly, this new technology was uh, implemented, or very quickly after it was implemented, all of the parents got a message uh, from the teacher asking that we remind our kids not to look up inappropriate words in a Google search like scary clowns or butt cheek. And I die, I get this message and I just like die laughing. Um, And I'm also laughing because I'm very thankful that it's at the school and there's lots of sensors and um, protective measures taken so that uh, little eyes don't see inappropriate things. Um, But I just, I, I think it's hilarious. 
I think it's absolutely hilarious. So uh, later on, I go pick up my kid from school. I kind of forgotten that this happened. And then I, I see my uh, son's teacher waving me over in the car line to talk to me, um, which is the point that this sweet woman explained to me that it was my child who had Googled both scary clown and butt cheek. Uh, and then what was very funny was now not funny at all in any way to me. It was incredible how quick I went from giggles to total humiliation. Um, when it was someone else's kid, hilarious. So, so funny. Uh, when it was my kid, humiliating. Absolutely embarrassing. Uh, all these questions just flooded my mind. Did other parents know? Did anyone know it was my kid? Um, did anybody think worse about us because our five-year-old knows a word like butt cheek? Um, did they think we tortured our kids with pictures of scary clowns? Um, laughter turned to mortified in like six seconds. Uh, as we continue looking at Emotionally Healthy Spirituality this week, I want to talk a little bit about what the Bible and uh, brilliant Bible teachers and Christian thinkers have to say about uh, what that thing was in me that took me from laughter to humiliation uh, with just like a big, strong sweep so quickly. Uh, part of the promise of this whole series, uh, or sorry, premise of this whole series for the next few weeks is the idea that uh, our spiritual health and growth cannot outpace our emotional health and growth. Uh, we talked about this last week, how these two things are constantly leaning on each other and informing each other. They are uh, interconnected in a lot of ways um, that as we shift and change and grow or weaken as people, uh, our emotional health, it has great impact on our spiritual health. And part of our emotional health and growth is a willingness uh, to, to know ourselves, to get to know ourselves. Augustine, uh, the church father, he says that if we are ever going to know God, we have to know ourselves as well. Uh, we have to uh, wake up to, or waking up to who we are, it is intricately connected to waking up to who God is. Uh, this is at the core of our spirituality. It's at the core of our connectedness to God. Uh, Paul hits on this pretty hard in um, our text from today. Uh, he says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your former life and let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Essentially, what he's saying is, um, find is, is that it's worth our time to find our new nature, to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to us and um, speak uh, purpose and uh, identity into our new nature, our true nature. That's part of the process of renewal and rescue. Uh, loads of Christian thinkers uh, say something similar as well. Here's a whole bunch. Uh, St. Teresa of Avila, uh, she says, almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. Uh, Meister Eckert, who was a 13th century German theologian, he says, no one can know God who does not first know himself. Uh, if you don't like Meister Eckert, my hunch is you like John Calvin and John Calvin in 1530, not in like 2021 Brene Brown podcast. In 1530, John Calvin said this, our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. Uh, a, a very vineyard-sounding statement um, from uh, hundreds of years ago, an early church father, John uh, Chrysostom, he says, uh, when we find the door to our heart, we will discover uh, the kingdom of God. 
uh, Howard Thurman, who I've been quoting quite a bit lately, Martin Luther King Jr.'s pastor, uh, so to speak. He talks at great lengths about how seeing ourselves in our true place has radical impact on our life with Jesus. Do I need to go on? I'll, I'll keep going. Plenty more people uh, talk about this. Uh, but the, sky, the kind of scary truth, the kind of scary reality is that most of us uh, never... I don't know, take the time or have the awareness or maybe courage uh, to ever really learn who we are. Pete Scazzaro, uh, the writer of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he says it like this. He says, the vast majority of us go to our graves without knowing who we are. We unconsciously live someone else's life or at least someone else's expectations for us. And this truth, this reality, it is so detrimental to our relationship with Jesus. We, uh, uh, plenty of us, we have stalled out spiritually and we don't know why. Or uh, also we've stalled out emotionally and, and we didn't even know. Uh, we learn stuff, uh, uh, we learn to stuff our feelings, we learn to reframe our feelings, to blow up or deny our feelings in a way that makes us numb and cold and simple and in a way that impacts our spiritual life. It's uh, learning to do those things with our feelings to not properly know ourselves or properly deal with our feelings. It, it is something that makes us less human. It's, it's learning uh, ourselves leads to the greater learning of God. Uh, if that's true, then it would be worth our time and energy to learn how to pay attention to our feelings, our emotions, uh, because they're excellent clues into the knowledge of our inner life. Um, in Genesis, uh, uh, in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, the creation story tells us that human beings were made in the image of God. Genesis 1, 27. Uh, human beings were made in the image of God. We were made with the imprint of God, a God who creates, a God who exists in all levels of freedom, a God who loves, and a God who feels. But somehow many of us have internalized this idea that to be a good follower of Jesus or to be a good Christian, it means learning to deny our feelings, especially our bad feelings. Uh, things like anger and fear and sadness, we, we, we don't know what to do with this. And, and somehow we've internalized this idea that, that uh, it, to, to deal with those feelings makes us a bad Christian. Uh, Pete Scazzaro, I want to quote him again. He says, most Christians do not think they have permission to consider their feelings, to name them, or to express them openly. And this is really costly to us because denying our pain or our loss or our grief or whatever feeling we don't think uh, we have the right to, uh, if doing that over years and years and years, uh, the cost of that is we become less and less and less and less human, less and less and less and less free. Uh, we are meant to live out of our image of God as image bearers of the King. We are meant to live out of the image of God in us, but instead uh, we choose to substitute a mask before God and ourselves and all of the people around us. And somehow we think that's what he wants. Rather than inhabiting the image of God, we opt for a mask. We meet God in our mask rather than in our reality. 
And then some of us kind of take the opposite in or, or take a, a, another uh, form of this. I think in different seasons, we do different things. But uh, for plenty of us, it's not so much that we spend our lives uh, or our seasons denying our feelings. It's that we spend our lives or seasons blindly following our feelings wherever they'll lead us. Uh, we might not stuff them or deny them, um, but we don't spend any real time getting curious about them in hopes of seeing what they might have to teach us about ourselves, about God, about where we're going. Uh, we follow them blindly rather than, see than seeing them as a communication from God, like a map to our souls. It might be um, kind of an opposite way, but this way of living also means that we fail to meet God in reality. We fail to meet God where we truly are uh, because we failed to listen or we failed to find our truest self. That's really what we're talking about here. Part of the invitation of Jesus, and I say part of the invitation of Jesus because Jesus invites us to a lot, but part of the invitation of Jesus is an invitation to become more free, to become more human. Jesus is always inviting people to that. Uh, and that means to stop living out of a false self and to start living out of our truest self, our new creation self, as Paul says in our text today. Uh, the word for this idea in counseling or in social work is differentiation. Say it out loud in your house. Differentiation. Um, differentiation is a term uh, by a guy named Murray Bowen, who um, is sort of the father of modern family systems theory. And within his family system theory, uh, he coined this term differentiation. And here's what it means. Differentiation is the ability or capacity to define who you are, where you end, and where others begin. It's a capacity or an ability to clearly define values and behaviors that decide who you are, how you interact with the world for your own self while still remaining connected to others. Simply put, differentiation is living out of your true self while in connection with others. If a huge piece of following Jesus is a process of self-discovery, and I think it is, and I think Paul thinks it is, and I quoted a whole lot of Christian thinkers who think it is. Um, if a huge piece of following Jesus is a process of self-discovery, then uh, the theory and process of differentiation has a lot to teach us, I think. Um, allowing it, it, This is what it does. It allows us to ask questions like, who am I? as a person. Um, what is me and what is my mask? What is my true self and what is my false self? Um, where do I live out of others' expectations for me uh, rather than my identity as an image bearer, a child of the king? Where do I follow my feelings blindly in a way that steals my own sense of authenticity or my own sense of self? So uh, for our last few minutes, we're, I'm going to give you kind of a quick explanation of, of sort of what it looks like when we're living a life that's not differentiated. Sometimes the best way to figure out what something is is to figure out uh, what it's not. And so we're going to talk about that, what it looks like when we are not living a differentiated life or a, a life out of our true authentic selves. And then um, we're going to take an even quicker look at how we can begin the process of differentiation of um, in a way that will set us free and make us more human. So um, okay, so one of the best ways that we can get curious about uh, if we are living out of a sense of our authentic or true self um, is to look at what happens when stress or anxiety comes into our life. 
Uh, and I'm using anxiety here, not uh, necessarily in the psychological sense, though that absolutely fits and is applicable. Um, but but like this, I, I'm using the word anxiety as um, to, to say anxiety is any type of emotion that overwhelms your ability to think clearly or to connect or engage with others. Uh, so anxiety as your uh, anything that over an emotion that overwhelms your ability to think clearly or to connect or engage with other people when when we look at this when things like this come into our lives the the feelings and emotions that overwhelm us uh, in thinking or engaging uh, what happens is when we look at those uh, we can actually take a really good look at what's lying below the surface sort of like the iceberg that we looked at like that we looked at last week so here's an example. I thought butt cheek was hilarious until it was my kid, right? I thought it was so funny. Then I found out it was my kid and it was no longer funny. It went from hilarious, uh, a hilarious message to an anxiety when I discovered that it was my kid who said the word. When I found out it was my kid, I instantly felt embarrassed, and that emotion of embarrassment, it overwhelmed me um, to the point that I wasn't able to think clearly, and it impacted my engagement or my connectedness with both my kid and the teacher. I wanted out of there as fast as I could possibly get out of there. I wanted to find a reason to never have to go pick up my kid at school again, and Daniel would have to do all school pickups or something. I, I wanted out of there completely. My embarrassment told me to disengage uh, immediately. And for most of us, we have moments like this in our lives, and then that's all they are. Uh, but if I want to live a differentiated life, if I want to get curious about knowing myself in order to know uh, God, um, if, I, if I want to live more human and more free and more authentic, then a situation like this becomes something to get curious about something to look a little deeper in. Um, it becomes a clue, like a map in my life, because we all have to do something with the emotions that overwhelm us. We, we all do something with the emotions that overwhelm us. Uh, we risk our authenticity, a lot of us, by stuffing them, by um, reframing them. Maybe either we pretend they're not there or we reframe them to like, oh no, that's not really that bad or here's why it's not that bad or or uh, we numb them. Uh, I, I don't know. I feel like Netflix is like the best numbing solution that's ever come out and then we got even more addicted to it during COVID. Uh, we numb in all sorts of ways, both internal and external, uh, ways that are kind of safe, ways that are really dangerous, but, but we'll numb our feelings. We deny our feelings. We explode our feelings. Um, all kinds of things. We uh, lie to ourselves and to others about what we really think or feel or fear. Uh, and this bleeds into our connection with others too. Uh, we have to do something with these feelings and it impacts the way we internalize them, but it also it impacts us externally as well. It impacts that as well. Um, we internalize and externalize our feelings in so many ways that risk living out of a sense of our authentic and true self. Uh, so, um, not just internally, but externally, we do this in a way that uh, in, it, it impacts our engagement and our connection with others, and it leads us to do some really weird external things too. So, for example, when we're overwhelmed by an emotion, and um, it's leading us like in that moment that where I just wanted to disengage from connection, um, we do things like we project, 
we project our anger, you know, maybe it makes us mad, so we project our anger on someone else. For example, I could have um, projected my anger onto the tech teacher and been like, who, who does that? Who gives a kindergartner a microphone and lets him do that, you know, blow up? Or uh, we do that weird projection thing where we don't get mad at the thing we're actually mad at, but we get mad at something else later. Like maybe Daniel came home later and he shut the door too loud, and all of a sudden I'm like livid because the door uh, got shut too loud, but really I'm mad or embarrassed about this other thing. Um, and I've involved a completely uninvolved person. Or or we do that another way. We triangulate. We bring in another person uh, in order to kind of numb out our feeling or ease out our, our feelings. Um, we find someone who will agree with us about our particular feeling or emotion. Nothing uh, fakes connectedness like bonding over a common hatred or a shared enemy of some sort of thing. Have you ever seen the movie The Little Rascals where they have an entire club called the He-Man Woman Haters Club. Uh, I, I could have done that in this moment. I could have formed a club called the I Hate Microphones and Technology Club or something like that. And I could have made t-shirts and I could have rallied around this idea uh, in order to make myself less embarrassed because it was someone else's fault. And so I've brought other people in on it. Uh, or we do this classic thing of under-functioning and over-functioning. Uh, under-functioning, that's what I did in the moment. Uh, under-functioning, we separate ourselves, we isolate ourselves, we cut off and disengage. Uh, connection. This is what I wanted to do in the car line. Or uh, we overfunction. This is my normal and classic drug of choice when it comes to overwhelming feelings and anxieties. I, I overfunction. Uh, and, and sometimes we do that relationally. We overfunction relationally. And it looks like uh, doing things for others that we think they should do for themselves so that then we can feel better about ourselves. We do this, right? This is how we stay in jobs way too long, in relationships way too long, in partnerships 10 times longer than we know that we should because we convince ourselves that we are loving others and being helpful to others by doing for them what we think that they should do for themselves. And suddenly we're over uh, relationing. These habits, these things that we do, they act like clues for us. They act like alarm bells signaling an area for growth in differentiation. They're uh, white flags waving, saying, you're putting on the mask. Uh, your false self is, is ruling. You're covering up who you truly are to find an easier way or a more palatable way or a, what feels like a safer way to deal with this feeling or deal with this emotion or deal with this reality. Uh, we allow our masked self, our false self, our imposter self to engage. And in doing so, we live an undifferentiated life. We live inauthent inauthentic to who we truly are, to our most true self. And we all do this to varying degrees, uh, all of us. If you're following along in the book with us, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, um, this one, uh, in chapter four, that's where a lot of this comes from. And there's this great kind of diagnostic tool, a chart where you can analyze your differentiation. That's super helpful uh, if you want to do it. I don't get paid to like uh, promote this book. That's just for free. But anyway, um, you can look at that. So that's kind of what it looks like uh, when we are uh, acting out of an undifferentiated world. Uh, so on the flip side, uh, what do we do about it? What do we do about it? How do we live differentiated? How do we live lives that are, are free, following Jesus out of our most true sense of self, our most authentic sense of self? How do we live more human, more free? Um, I have four easy steps. Just kidding. I hate four easy steps. Uh, I, they're never easy, right? Um, 
what I would like to say is I have four really practical ways that we can live out uh, faithful to our true self in Christ. These all come from Pete Scazzaro. Um, I took them straight from there. So from Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. So here's the first one. A step toward becoming differentiated. Uh, step number one is pay attention to your insides in silence and solitude. Uh, one of the things that keeps us most from our feelings and our desires and our dreams are the enormous amount of distractions that we fill our life with. Uh, if we are going to learn ourselves and learn how to listen to the spiritual speaking to our emotional, then we have to find ways to be quiet and alone. The best way to keep living, I could say the opposite, the best way to keep living undifferentiated is never be quiet and never be alone. Uh, but quiet and alone, they allow room. They just create room and space for us to do this work. Uh, and, and we can do it in loads of ways, journals or walks or prayers or breaths. I, I don't know what it looks like for you. Try out different things. Um, it's a slow practice that takes time to learn if you're not used to, uh, the, the, to silence and solitude. Um, I've said this a lot for me actually learned it from this day-by-day -day book. Um, for me, that it looked like setting a timer for two minutes of silence. And that was like agonizing for a while. But over time, that muscle memory grew. And I went from two minutes to three minutes. And I could grow uh, this space for silence and solitude uh, as I tried to become acquainted with it, acquainted uh, with something that I was not super acquainted with. Um, but it's not just about being quiet. It's also about allowing God access into our quiet allowing the Holy Spirit access into our quiet and alone because he'll speak to us. Okay, number two, find trusted companions. Uh, I'm not sure how to do this work without inviting tested voices and trusted voices into our lives. Uh, it's scary sometimes, but it's really, really helpful. Uh, there's, a, there's a story I've read about uh, a desert monk named Hero, and he lived as a hermit in the desert to follow Jesus. And he had this strict discipline of solitude in that he never spent time with anyone. When he would be invited by the other monks to like feasts or celebrations or anything like that, he wouldn't come because he was uh, a strict discipline of solitude and he was only alone. And so at some point in the solitude and prayer of only being alone, he, he feels like he hears God's voice and God's voice tells him to jump into a well. And so he does it. He goes to a well, he jumps into a well and he expects an angel to come rescue him um, from this well and no angel comes. And as he lay at the bottom of the well broken, um, dying, it's, it's there that the realization happens that the only way out of that hole was through the help of other people. Allowing other people into our work of differentiation, it's risky, but it's crucial. And it's brave work. It's really brave. It's a brave thing to invite someone else into your own self-analysis, a counselor or friend or partner or group of people. Um, if you're in a place where you don't find yourself uh, with trusted people around you, um, I have two thoughts for you. One, we have core groups at church. This is, feels like a shameless plug, but honestly, this is what they exist for. So we'd, we'll get more information. Holler at Chad. He'll give you more information. Um, and then the second thought is pray. Ask God for them. I think this is something God wants in our lives. Ask him for it. Uh, and number three is move out of your comfort zone. Um, to know ourselves authentic and differentiated, uh, there are going to be places that we have to find new ways of thinking or new ways of doing things, new ways of analyzing things. 
Uh, and the truth is, as we do that, as we figure out these new things, we're going to stumble and we're going to fall and it's going to be super awkward at time and it's absolutely going to require us to get out of our comfort zone. If you are new to this, if you're new to um, paying attention to your feelings and emotions, uh, it's you're going to feel like a toddler at times when you do this. I had this happen this week. Uh, yesterday, I had this moment where I had to do this thing and, and I did it like a toddler. It was humiliating and I also am a little bit more free today uh, because of it. We do this um, by reminding our, we, we, we move out of our comfort zone by reminding ourselves often of what we believe, of, of what we read in our text today, verse 30. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. We take risk toward finding our true selves uh, because we do and will always belong to the Father. Uh, there's a great Jewish midrasher or Jewish story, proverb kind of thing, uh, by a rabbi named uh, Rabbi Zuzia. And he says, Rabbi Zuzia says, when the kingdom comes, they will not ask me, why were you not Moses? What they will ask me is, why were you not Zuzia? Becoming you means uh, risking to move out of your comfort zone, not to become someone else, but to become you. Okay, fourth thing, uh, pray for courage. Uh, this, this is the last thing, but it's a big thing. Uh, one of the honest realities of learning how to live out of your true and differentiated self, um, it, it means that, that you will interact with other and their reactions and feedback from the people closest in your life is going to come. Like uh, you're trying to be your true self and they maybe have only known your mask self. And so sometimes that's really good feedback and sometimes they don't like it at all. For example... If you have spent a lifetime trying to make yourself small or make your voice small or make your opinions or uh, your impact on the world uh, in some way small, uh, then it will take time and patience and courage to learn how to live uh, with your people as someone with a true and authentic voice and sense of self. That will just happen. Um, a few years ago, uh, Daniel, my husband, was doing this exact work that I'm talking about and um, was working uh, really uh, like well and hard and risky on living a differentiated life. And um, he was learning his voice and his true and authentic self. And um, so we're driving, trying to pick a restaurant one day. And I said, we're you know doing the thing where you like list a bunch of restaurants and nobody wants anything. And I was like, oh, I know. Let's eat at Zoe's Kitchen. It's a restaurant in Knoxville. It's great. And, and Daniel says, okay. And then he takes this pause and he gets quiet. And then he looks over at me and he says, I don't like that restaurant. Like, I just really don't like it. And I don't think I want to go there. And he had never said anything like, he's like the most, uh, he's always fine to eat wherever. He didn't care. And it took me back. And I was like, what? And honestly, if I'm really honest with you, all I thought was like, that's the only restaurant I want to eat at now. I don't like when he has an opinion because then I don't get to have an opinion. Uh, but that's kind of how things play out sometimes. So it takes courage. It takes courage to do this work. It's brave work. Um, I'm going to close up today um, and we're going to pick back up next week. We'll be here for the next couple of weeks um, learning how to, um, to become our most true selves and finding our most authentic selves and what we value and who we are. Um, but for Selah today, I, I want to just pray for you and uh, bless you in this. Uh, bless you in this work because, as I said, it takes a lot of courage. And I think that the Holy Spirit has incredible stuff for us in this. So um, 
I was thinking of this as I was uh, writing for today and for the Selah, and I have a favorite poet. I have a couple. Do I say favorite for everything? I have a couple favorite poets, but one of them is a guy named uh, Rilke, and Rilke has this, uh, it's like four st uh, four lines in this one poem, and, and I love them, um, and it's this poem about asking God to unfold him, and he says this. He says, I want to unfold. I don't want to stay folded anywhere because where I am folded, there I am a lie. And I want my grasp of things to be true before you. And so that's what I want to bless. I want to bless the work of unfolding, uh, the work of becoming not a lie, the work of becoming true before the Father and true before the Son and true before the Spirit. So uh, let's pray together. So Holy Spirit, I... Um, ask you to come and I ask you to unfold us. I ask you to give us the courage uh, to look inside ourselves, the courage and the wisdom to follow you in this work. I pray that you would give us eyes to see honestly uh, into our own hearts and into our own lives. And will you give us the eyes that see the places where we are living undifferentiated, Will you give us eyes to see the places where we're living folded, where we're living as an imposter when you made us to live full and free? I pray that you would give us the courage to expose our masks uh, in hope and honor of our true and authentic selves. Will you allow us to see our, emotion, our emotions as maps toward greater knowledge of ourselves and greater knowledge of you? Will you make us curious about the ways uh, that we express ourselves as folded people, express ourselves undifferentiated? And then I pray as we try these four steps, I pray um, that you would uh, wake us up to what goes on inside us in silence and solitude. Uh, I pray for the courage to be silent and be alone. Um, I pray for uh, our people as we find trusted companions to do this, as we risk bringing other people into this very personal and uh, scary work. I pray for um, the people who hear that and feel a panic because they don't know any trusted people in their lives. I just, um, we ask you uh, to fill our lives with a few people that we trust a few people whose voice uh, matters to us, whose voice we trust as we learn ourselves and learn more deeply how to follow you. I pray um, that you would remind us often uh, that you call us your own and that uh, that reality and that identity would move us uh, out of our comfort zone. And then finally, we pray for courage. We pray for the courage to do the big and hard work. We pray for the courage to keep doing it uh, when other people find it inconvenient or frustrating or confusing. Uh, we pray for the courage that comes from your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen.